Our reading this evening is taken from 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 18, and that is on page 1195 of the Church Bibles. That's 2 Timothy 1, chapters eight, uh, verses 8 to 18, on page 1195. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that has entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the households of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Caroline, thank you so much for, for reading. Good evening, folks. Good to see you. Let me pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you that we can meet tonight as brothers and sisters in Jesus and hear you speak to us. We pray that you speak to us tonight through this letter to Timothy and help us to see the relevance of it um, to the church today. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in me as I speak and in those listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few months ago, uh, Rachel was having a conversation with someone at work, and the lady sh she was speaking to suddenly asked, so what does your husband do? Rachel replied, he works for a church. He's a minister. Oh, what type of church? Church of England, Baptist, Pentecostal. Yeah, I know, it's funny, right? You, you're pitching me as a, as a Pentecostal preacher. <laughs> and Rachel says, no, it's, it's an independent church. Oh, interesting. It's not one of those evangelistic churches, is it? <laughs> Do you mean evangelical? Yes. Yeah, it is, actually. Have you ever had a response like that? 
You're not a Christian, are you? You're not, you're not that type of Christian, are you? One that believes the Bible. It can be a bit awkward, can't it? It's very tempting to not let people know that we're Christians in order to, to avoid awkward situations. Or because we, we don't want to feel like we're being judged or potentially be asked difficult questions. But if people don't know we're Christians, it's going to be hard to share the gospel with them, isn't it? For example, the, the questions that they might have asked us about our faith will probably never be asked. When Jesus said that her husband was an evangelical minister, she, she was unable to explain what that meant and what it didn't. So some people think, for example, that uh, because of what they see in the news, that an evangelical is someone who likes Donald Trump. Although some Christians do, many do not. And so by saying we're evangelical Christians, then we can actually explain to people what we mean and even have a discussion with them, hopefully, about Jesus. Now, if we understand the gospel we know that it is something that is ultimately relevant to everyone. And therefore, it is something that everyone needs to hear. But here's the thing. If we're honest, we don't always live as though that were the case. Not only are we a bit embarrassed at times of speaking about Jesus, uh, we're also often preoccupied with other things. So we need constant reminding that the gospel is the most important thing in the world. As David shared last week, Timothy was one of the most committed and gifted Christians Paul knew. Paul couldn't really have rated Timothy any more highly than he did. Yet even Timothy, even Timothy had to be encouraged not to get complacent with regards to the gospel. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here's, here's Paul's main instruction to Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the good news. Friends, if, if even Timothy, even Timothy needed to be reminded of that, how much more do we today? In tonight's passage, Paul shows us how not to be ashamed of the gospel. Our first and main point, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this evening, is simply this, don't be ashamed of the gospel. You'll have noticed that um, Paul's instruction in verse 8 begins with the word, so. Clearly, uh, what Paul said in the earlier verses serves as a basis uh, for his charge here in verse 8. Now, what did those earlier verses say uh, about why Timothy shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel? Gave us a few reasons. I'll just briefly cover a couple because um, David preached on that passage last week. Just very briefly as a reminder, one reason is this. Timothy's faith. So Timothy believes the gospel. Now, if you believe the gospel, presumably 
you know why, you know why it's worth believing. At least I hope so. If, if you don't know why, if you, if, you don't, if you believe the gospel, but you don't know why you believe it, you don't have reasons, then come and chat to me afterwards. I'd love to um, encourage and share some. Um, and so here's the thing. If you know why it is worth believing, then why would you be ashamed of it? You've got solid reasons for believing in it. Being ashamed of it doesn't really make sense. If you believe the gospel, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. You know your reasons for believing it. Another reason is this. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to be ashamed of of sharing the gospel because it's the Spirit who who fills us with, with what? With power and love and helps us to practice self-discipline. So when you're sharing the gospel, you don't have to rely on your own strength, but on the strength provided by, by whom? By the Holy Spirit. He helps us so that we're not left to our own devices. So, so those are a couple of reasons from last week's passage for, for not being ashamed. Tonight's passage explores another key reason, uh, although I think it's, it's related to, to faith. We try to spot the reason in uh, verses 9 and 10 as we read them. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel? Because of God's grace. God has been so spectacularly kind to us, to us, folks, to us, Sinners, do we deserve grace? No, we deserve judgment. Paul says, God chose to save us not because of anything we have done. God has saved us purely because of his his grace. There is absolutely nothing that you have done There's absolutely nothing that I have done that makes us worthy of God saving us. Nothing. Zilch. It is all God's grace. That is the gospel. It's about God's grace towards us. So if it's about that, why on earth would we we be ashamed of that. Some of you, no doubt, will have watched uh, Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Imagine someone who was rescued by Schindler from going to a, to a concentration camp and that person being ashamed of him. It would be weird, wouldn't it? It would be incomprehensible. They, they, they owe their freedom to Schindler. They owe their life to him. Why on earth would they be ashamed of him? 
It's, it's a bit similar with, with us and, and Jesus. Consider what Jesus has done for us. Verse 10, Paul says, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Friends, what is... What has Jesus, Jesus rescued us from? From death. Death will not be the end of us. There is life beyond the grave. And the life we will enter through death will be immeasurably better than this one, won't it? So why are we why are we ashamed? God has been so gracious to us. Another reason not to be ashamed of the gospel is because it is how others come to know about God's grace, about Jesus' destroying of death and his gift of eternal life. The end of verse 10 makes clear that knowledge of, of of this reality comes through the gospel. It comes through the gospel message. Now, it's, it's a bit of an understatement to say that, that Paul was not aloof to the fact that when you publicly align yourself with Jesus, you will face opposition. Paul faced immense persecution. And he faced it precisely because He refused to be ashamed of the gospel. In verse 8, Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel, and then rather join with me in suffering. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, rather join with me in suffering. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying that we really only have two options. Either being ashamed of the gospel and not suffering for it, or not being ashamed of the gospel and suffering for it. Those are the options presented to Timothy, and they're the options presented to us. Because we live amongst non-Christians, not everyone is going to be sympathetic towards the gospel. You know that. So the challenge to us is this. Are we going to keep our faith in Christ private? Or are we going to display it, share it, even though it, it will lead us to face pushback? Former American football player, uh, Kurt Warner, was very unapologetic about his faith in Christ and um, spoke very openly about Jesus, was quoted in the Times saying, I know some people get tired of hearing it and say, how does your faith relate to football? Everything I do, everywhere I go, I'm trying to live up to or represent Jesus. It will always be who I am, and it's the most important thing in my life. So more more times than not, it is going to be the first thing I talk about.
the pushback that Kurt Warner received is not even worth comparing to the ordeal that Paul had to go through. But I mention it because it highlights how in whatever culture you are in, even in a Christianized one, like that of America 10 or 20 years ago when, when Kurt was speaking, even in that type of culture, you will face some type of resistance to your faith. It is always going to be there. And rather than avoiding that resistance, we should embrace it. Not being ashamed of the gospel implies that we will suffer. Paul again stresses this link between proclaiming the gospel and suffering in verses 11 and 12. So he says in verse 12, that is why I'm suffering as I am. It's really obvious. Folks, if, if you're rebuffed for speaking about Jesus, it's probably not because you're not doing it right. I mean, you might not be. You might be doing it really badly, but, but there are certainly some better ways of doing it and some worse ways of doing it. But overall, overall, the pushback we face is mainly simply because the gospel is offensive. It's about people being sinners who need a savior. You just you cannot take the offense out of that, right? Unless you you tamper with it. And I'm sure you'd agree, I hope you'd all agree, that we definitely do not want to do that. Because once you tweak it, once you tamper with it, well, then you've got something else. You don't have the gospel anymore. And it's only the gospel that saves. To sum up what we've seen so far, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because God has been so gracious to us. And also because it is the message that teaches people about what God has done in and through Christ. And we shouldn't be ashamed. Even though, or, or put off, despite facing pushback or opposition. Paul now turns to two types of guarding. And we'll see what they mean in, in just a second. So let's read from verse 12. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. Now, although uh, today going to prison is not something uh, people are often proud of, in a shame and honor culture, 
as that of first century Rome, it was an especially shameful thing. You would have been a total outcast in that society. That is the extent to which Paul is suffering. He's despised by everyone. Even his former friends no longer associate with him. He says in verse 15 that everyone in the province of Asia, that is modern-day Turkey, everyone there has abandoned him, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. The fact that he, he mentioned these two by name suggests that this would have been a massive shock to him and, and, to, and to Timothy. Even Phygelus and Hermogenes. He probably thought that these two men could have been relied upon. But alas, now that Paul's in prison, they want nothing to do with him. Society thinks Paul is a loser. So Phygelus and Hermogenes ditch him. They, they don't want their reputation or their status to be tarnished by being associated with a prisoner. And the fact that these men aren't willing to, to face shame for associating with Paul, God's apostle, well, it suggests that they're also prob- probably not willing to face shame for the gospel itself. They've probably abandoned the gospel. And we're going to learn in this letter about others who also forsook the gospel. People like Philetus and Hymenaeus that Paul mentions. People whom Paul would have considered gospel partners. Imagine how discouraging it must have been for Paul to have seen people he'd considered brothers in Christ, partners in the gospel, now completely turn their backs on him and on the good news of Jesus. It would have been devastating. Do you know people who maybe back in the day used to come to church, would have called themselves themselves Christians, and now are nowhere, spiritually speaking, I remember meeting a guy a few years ago at a, at a Christian conference, and we became friends, and um, he seemed to love Jesus. We got on really well, and um, I only knew him in that context, really, from that conference that I went to in Cardiff, and, um, and we stayed in touch, and sometime last year on his Facebook, I just saw some posts, just really anti-Christian stuff. And so I sent him a direct message, and, um, and he's just completely turned his back on Jesus. Uh, he's not just indifferent to Christianity. He hates Christianity. You think he's Richard Dawkins' cousin or something. He hates Christianity. He's so antagonistic. And I'll tell you what, when I found, when I found out... I was grieved. Like, I was mourning on the inside. It was almost like as though you told me he died. In fact, it was actually 
worse than, you, than if you told me he died. If you told me he died, I'd be like, oh, that's really sad, but so happy that he's with Jesus. Now it's like, he's still physically alive, but spiritually dead. Spiritually, he's like a zombie. That just, even to this day, I just, when I think about it, it's like, it gives me a heavy heart. I imagine that times several for Paul. Hamanias, Philetus, Homogenes, they've got all these funky names. It's hard to remember them. But all of these guys, all these people, and he's like, him, 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 him. It's like, oh. How distressing. What is it that keeps Paul going? He's, he's trying to get the gospel out. He's like, people need to hear the gospel. And these other people who are helping him do that are not like, nah, we don't want to do that anymore. And Paul, we're not your friend anymore. Here's what I think keeps him going. Have a look at me at verse 12. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he, that is God, is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What reassures Paul, even though he is alone in prison and on death row? What what, what reassures him? Knowing that God is guarding the gospel until, not just temporarily, until that day, until Christ's return. God is guarding the gospel. He's got it. Friends, is it possible for the gospel to be in safer hands than these? God Almighty will himself ensure that the gospel is preserved and will reach the nations. Even if Paul is executed, and even if some of those whom he thought were gospel partners forsake him and the gospel, the gospel is still safe. Now, because it's the gospel's in God's hands, and he's guarding it, does this mean that we can just be complacent? Oh, it's in God's hands, so... Well, of course not. Just because God guards the gospel doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything. We as the church also have a part to play in in guarding it. So Paul tells Timothy in verse 14, guard the good deposit. That's the gospel. And he does this immediately after saying what? After telling him to, to teach. So how does, how does the guarding of the gospel happen? God guards it, and he uses people to guard it. And how do his people guard it? By teaching it. By teaching it faithfully. Now, some of you might think, wait a minute. How am I going to guard the gospel by, by teaching it? If I'm not a teacher, a teaching is not a gift that God has given me. Can I guard the gospel? I hope you'll be encouraged by the example of Onesiphorus 
Don't be ashamed of the gospel and learn from Onesiphorus. That's our second and much shorter point. Uh, Learn from Onesiphorus. Let's read from, from verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Folks, I don't know if Onesiphorus was a teacher or not. It's possible that he was, but there's nothing here to suggest that he was. There's no evidence for that. Here's what we do know about Onesiphorus. He's not ashamed of the gospel. And he's not ashamed of God's messenger, God's apostle, even though he's in prison. Now, Onesiphorus would no doubt have been mocked for associating with Paul. But he he, he doesn't care. Or if he does, he just overcomes it. You see, Paul says that Onesiphorus searched hard for him until he found him. So Onesiphorus would have had to go from one prison to the next to find Paul. Now today, it's considered altruistic to to go to prison and visit someone, isn't it? But back in the mid-first century people would almost never have considered doing it. It was just too humiliating. You wouldn't go to prison and go, yeah, I'm friends with this guy. And Onesiphorus, he doesn't even know which prison Paul is in. So he has to go from prison to prison to prison to prison in search of him. Onesiphorus couldn't just open, open up Google Maps and search for prisons in the area and then reach each one of them up and go, hey, is, is Paul incarcerated there? He literally had to go to them and check all the prisons until he finally, finally finds Paul. That is friendship. That is gospel partnership. That is, that is not being ashamed of the gospel and of the people God has appointed to teach it. I suspect that in the years to come, oh, I mean, look, today, in various parts of the world, people who, who teach the gospel go to prison for doing that, right? There are parts of the world where that happens today, sadly, in a lot of places. I'm not saying this is going to happen here, But I wouldn't be surprised in years to come as the values of the church and the values of society drift further and further apart and clash more and more and more. And we're we're teaching one thing, we're saying one thing, and our society is saying another. And they're like, no, no, you must say this. And we're like, no, no, we're going to say this because this is what God says, what God's word says. I wouldn't be surprised. They go, okay, well, then we're going to sort you out, you know, put you in prison, whatever. I think that, that wouldn't surprise me. Because that's what we see, right? We see the values of our society and, and of God's word just 
drifting further and further apart. They're not coming closer together. So maybe in the future, Christians will be in a position where some people go into prison for, for holding to God's word. And, and in, that, in that situation, in that scenario, what are, what are we going to do? Are we going to go and visit? I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but it's possible. And I think we shouldn't be surprised if it does. So friends, you, you might not be a Timothy. You might be the shyest person in Banstead when it comes to, to, to speaking publicly. But maybe you're an Onesiphorus. Maybe you can be an Onesiphorus. A person who's willing to face shame for the gospel by, by supporting churches, by supporting mission, by supporting those who are teaching the gospel and are guarding it that way. That is a way that you can guard the gospel and not be ashamed of it. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's resist the temptation to be ashamed of the good news. We've been given a wonderful gospel to God, haven't we? So, so let's guard it. And whether we do that as teachers, as Paul did, or whether we, we do that as those who, who wholeheartedly back gospel teachers as Onesiphorus did. The gospel teaches us that, that Jesus destroyed death and has brought us life and immortality. Friends, this is the last thing we should be ashamed of. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace towards us. And we are so sorry for often taking it for granted, for often being ashamed of it and being ashamed of saying we're Christians, um, being ashamed of um, we hold back from sharing the gospel with people. Maybe um, at school um, we're ashamed to associate with someone else who's a Christian. Father, we do ask for your forgiveness for the many ways in which we are often ashamed of the gospel. Help us to remember your immense grace to us and cause us to love others enough to share the gospel with them because the gospel is the only thing that can save them. The gospel is the thing that every, every person we know who is not a Christian The gospel is the thing that they most need. Help us to truly believe this in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.